Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Welcome to Food Therapy Podcast. We are so excited to have registered dietitian Gabby Kahn with us today. And Gabby, can you first, you know, tell our listeners about the work that you do? Yeah. So thank you so much for having me here today. I am a registered dietitian owner of Method Nutrition. And what I do is I work with moms with young daughters and help them break free from that vicious mother-daughter diet cycle, really finally find peace with food and their body. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so interesting. Like what about moms did you find like that to be your passion? Cause it's such an interesting niche to have. So like what, like, was there something in your childhood or growing up? Like what about moms did you feel so connected to? Yeah. So I grew up with a mother who dieted. So I always say I am the daughter of a mother who dieted. I myself have been part of that vicious mother daughter diet cycle. I've watched my grandmother diet and she's still alive to this day. She's 99 and still holds on to those food comments. I, from a very young age, saw my mother diet tear apart her body and she still really does. And then during my childhood, starting at the age of 10, I started dieting myself and it went on for a really long time. And I have a younger sister. We have a double digit age gap. And by the time she was four years old, I saw her stand in front of the mirror, grab her stomach and say, Gabby, I'm fat. And it was like in that moment that I realized that this vicious mother daughter diet cycle that goes on for generations and in so many families and really goes unnoticed or it's normalized had now passed down to my little sister. And even though she's my sister, you know, when you have such a big age gap, it's half like mom, half like a sister. And it was in that moment that I realized that this cycle has to end here and with me. It's so crazy to think that at the age of four, somebody like a child can even realize like what quote unquote, being fat even means and that it has this negative association with it. Right. And I actually found, or my mom found one of my journals from when I was little, it was like a Junie B journal or something. And it had like little prompts in it. And it said something like, what's your biggest fear? And I think I did it. Like I wrote it in third grade and she was like, Lauren, I just found this journal. And you wrote that your biggest fear was getting fat. I was like, how is that my biggest fear? And my mom actually wasn't even like, she didn't do any sort of dieting or at least that she like actually allowed me to see. So I'm just like, it's crazy. Even if you don't have a mom that diets, like you can still be so affected by just the societal pressures and diet culture that we live in. It's like the environment. It can be from school. It can be from friends. Like when you sleep over at a friend's house, sometimes you can think back to what they had in their pantry or their mother's relationship. And there's just so many different outlets. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying, like, we might not even fully understand at that age, like, what does fat even mean? But it's been instilled with us from that young age that this is something that we should be afraid of. It's a fear. And we start to reenact the things that we see, like grabbing our stomach or looking in the mirror and picking apart the things we don't like. 
It's honestly so true. And, you know, Lauren, I still relate to that as well. Actually, I relate to both of you guys, Gabby, because my mom came from this really poor body image and dieting. And she still diets. I love her. And she's probably will listen to this, but she still diets. And, you know, her mother dieted. And so I'm with you. Like, I want to stop it, you know, with me. Like, I don't want to, you know, pass this on to children. But Lauren, I completely relate to you as well, which is even though, you know, your mom might not be dieting it's still around you and it's, you know, it's in the water. And I actually found a journal that I wrote when I was 12. And I said, it was like a camp letter to my mom. And I wrote, tell mom can't lose weight, trying really hard. And so even I found like journals from like age 10, age 12. And yeah, it was always on my mind growing up. It was like something that we were taught that we had to do. It just like breaks my heart when you think about it too. Cause like we've gone through the distress of dieting and trying to change your body. And it's like, when is this ever going to end? You know, I think all of us here, you don't want your kids to suffer the way you have or your parents or whomever else has really been influenced by this diet culture. It's so true. And I want you to talk a bit more about how a mom's relationship with food affects her child's relationship with food. Because what I hear sometimes from parents, it's like, well, I never comment on their weight. Like I'm just dieting myself. And it's like, well, that still has an impact on your child. So I would love to hear sort of your advice about that, which is like why it's still relevant if a mom is dieting and, you know, picking on her body. Yeah. So I think the biggest factor is it's the environment. So even if you're not making weight comments or body comments or food comments towards your kids, if you're in an environment or your kids are in an environment where they see mom measuring all of her portions or weighing her food, or when she goes to make a meal, she's plugging something in on an app, even if they don't realize what it is, they're starting to create this value with food. And if mom is in the mirror or how about that? She steps on the scale. She sees some number. Your kid has no clue what the number is, but you step off the scale. And if mom becomes becomes really upset and changes her eating habits after that, even if the kid doesn't know the weight or the number associated with it, they get this idea that body is bad. Like it's very, just like this gray kind of area where they don't really know what's going on, but it goes to show how much you as a mother, as an adult or whomever you are, have to really work on your relationship with food and your body, because that's the environment you create for your children. And that's how you influence them. If your child has the ability to see mom create a really nourishing plate that she enjoys and moves on after the meal. If you go and you don't step on the scale or you stop pinching your body in the mirror, then your kid's just going to look in the mirror and love their body and move on from it. I love that. Yeah, I really love that. Uh, it's, you know, it's really hard. And especially it's just so around us. I was actually catching up with a friend this week and, you know, even with her parents, like when they're like, let's start a diet together. And that's the other thing I want to talk about is, you know, I went to Weight Watchers for the first time when I was 12 with my mom. It was this bonding experience. It's again, like, it's just, and of course, course, like our parents want the best for us. They want us to feel safe. They want us to feel happy in our bodies. But I don't think people realize the damage that we're causing putting a 12 year old on a diet. You know, a 12 year old is still growing and that's just so problematic in so many ways. And I think that's a big part of the problem is that when our parents put us on these diets, if they think we're overweight, it's because they think they're helping us, right? They think that they're helping us through whether it's the doctor saying, oh, look, she's on the higher end of the BMI or like she's, you know, wherever you are, or if it's like societal where it's like, oh, well, I want her to be like accepted because weight is a huge part of like feeling accepted. And obviously as a human, we want to feel accepted. And also that children pick up on so much, like it is so wild how much they can pick up on. I actually have a client right now and she has a daughter. I think she's like six years old. And she was like, I need to sign up for your program because I cannot continue to watch my 
my daughter watch me pick myself apart in the mirror because she picks up on it. And she's like, mommy, stop. What are you like? Why are you doing that? Like you're beautiful and always tells her that she's so beautiful. And she's like, my daughter sees it. Why can't I see it for myself? It's so true. I mean, think about like as a parent, like if you curse and all of a sudden your kid says it, like they pick up on things so fast, but I can so relate to both of your stories because it's true. Everything, most of the time for people, the actions your mom does towards you with dieting or body comments are out of love and protection. It's probably what she knows from her own mother and from the societal pressure of, you know, if you are in a larger body, you're unworthy or you've done something wrong as a parent, or you're going to have a hard time finding love. And they're doing these things to protect you, but it hurts you. So kind of as Brittany was saying, when I was 10 years old, my pediatrician told me I had gained way too much weight in a year. And I had to lose the weight before I got my menstrual cycle. Cause the fear was back then that you get your cycle and you can't get rid of this weight. And all of a sudden you're in a whole new BMI category. And what my mom did out of protection was she took me to a nutritionist. So at the age of 10, I'm now counting calories and I'm measuring food. And I think I know good versus bad when it comes to food, but it really started that cycle for me. That's where it began, but she did it out of love. And I have compassion for that because I know she was trying to protect me, but it's like, we have to stop sending our kids to these weight loss nutritionists or weight watchers or things like that at a young age. It has a huge impact. I mean, what about like, I'm saying fat camp, cause that's what it was actually called called when I was younger, but this idea of sending your child because their body is too big for what you, you know, it truly blows my mind. And I don't know if anyone watched, if you guys watch this, but there was actually a reality show. Um, I think it was MTV about the experiences of people who went to quote unquote fat camp. And to think that even at such a, you know, young vulnerable age, you're told like your body isn't good. Your body isn't acceptable. So I'm going to send you to the six or seven week program to help you lose the weight. You know, thinking back, I have friends whose parents have bribed them, bribed them with money, with trips, with experiences, with bags. And it's, you know, the messaging you're telling your child is like, you're not good enough. You're not good enough in your body, the body that you were born with and meant to be in. And that is just so painful and so hurtful. Yeah. I actually, I know a lot of people too, who were sent to fat camp or who actually cried over their body image. And the parents thought the solution was we'll send you to fat camp this summer. And it's like the name of it, the whole idea around it. Like it, it just, it breaks my heart so much. Truly. Yeah. And then what does it set you up for in the future? Like our bodies change throughout our lifetime. So now any time that you see any amount of weight come on after you've been through such a traumatic experience like that is your immediate thought is to go back to whatever restriction that they taught to you at the fat camp. It sounds so horrible even saying fat camp. I'm literally using, if you can see us, we're using quotes. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, what is it setting you up for, for the rest of your life? Like you have this traumatic experience and then anytime that your body changes throughout your lifetime, it's going to bring you back to that traumatic experience. And you're just going to continue down that diet cycle and the feeling that you need to restrict and potentially lead to binges. And it's just such a vicious cycle. And I think it also ties into exercise piece too, because a lot of times with those camps, it's this idea of like you exercise and you over exercise, and then it's restricting your food and it starts 
starts this whole cycle. And I think it ties into kind of the emotional and physical piece with exercise as well. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting, I, when I was younger and it's about these like subliminal messages that people give you, I will never forget. I was in my like young adult pediatrician doctor and she was like, here's a predominator. Like, why don't you start to count your steps? And all I heard in that moment was you need to lose weight. I didn't hear anything about exercise, why movement was important to me. I heard you need to lose weight. And so again, like even, and I would, Gabby, I would love to hear too, your advice for moms, like how do you get kids moving? Like we all know movement is so important for our health or mental health or sleep, but we tie it so closely to weight loss. So how, you know, how do you get moms to incorporate intuitive movement into what they're doing and, you know, involving their kids in that? I think there's two pieces to it. I think the first part is mom. So we need to work on mom's why behind movement and steer it away from the idea of weight loss and changing my body to movement that feels good for my body because I want to move my body and because it helps me out. And then from there, it's the idea of, as we spoke about with everything else, the environment. So can you lead by example? Is there ways that you can get your kids involved in movement? Depending on the age, you know, if they're younger, maybe it's mommy and me yoga or doing, you know, a YouTube has so much, a Zumba class together or going for a walk together, or maybe it's finding other ways that you guys can do activities together. But I think the most important part to it too, is leading by example. Your kids probably adore you and are obsessed with you. And even if it's just jumping on the trampoline together, you guys are getting in movement. Yeah. I think it's important to not make such a big deal out of it either. It's not like you have to join this sports team. You have to get moving. Like you don't have to do anything. You should want to move. Like, especially as a kid, you shouldn't take that away from them and be like, well, we should go on a run. It's kids usually give or take are able to get movement in so many fun ways. And it shouldn't have to be like a specific time of exercise, right? It's like, just think about how you can move in general. Yeah. And I think the other part to too, is then monitoring your language afterwards. So making sure it's not like, well, we did this exercise day, so we can have dessert tonight. A lot of times I see that whether it is with a child playing sports that they now earn dessert or just kind of the language around it, I think is really important to monitor as a mom as well, because then we create this reward system with food and the idea that we have to earn it. Mm, so yeah. true. You know, I was speaking with a client once and the mom, and I said, like, even using words such as cheat days or I'm really good today, like, let's be good today. Like this is giving your child the message that there are good and bad foods. If they were to eat the, you know, quote, unquote, bad foods, like they're bad for the rest of the day. And it really starts to create a certain belief system that stays with you for so long. Like I have clients where, you know, they were told from a young age that carbs are bad. And do you know who hard it is to finally come to the point where it's like, no, carbs are actually really necessary for brain health and for your body. So those beliefs are formed early on. And, you know, even certain messaging that we receive from teachers and schools and parents, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the food fears that my clients come to be with actually started in school. They were said, don't have soda, don't have added sugar. And what it was meant to be quote unquote, help children actually started to create a lot more harm. It's really so true. I think it's like that creates so much harm than the idea of like, we all commented on people's bodies. I think for a lot of my clients too, one of the first questions I ask them when it comes to body image is what's your earliest memory. And my clients can tell me the day, the time, where they were, 
who they were with, what they were wearing. And it's like, as you were saying with the food comment, so it's one thing that you hear or one body image thing that you hear sticks with you for a lifetime. And it just becomes like this trauma that we hold onto and it affects so much. Yeah. And it also has to do with that negative bias that we have too, just as humans, right? We love to hang on to the negative. If somebody says something nice about us, which obviously we don't want to make comments about bodies in general, but if somebody says something nice, we don't hold on to that nearly as tightly as to the negative comments. And that's just the way that most of our brains work, unless you're just like a super optimistic person, which is great for you. But most of the time we hang on to this negative bias and it can be so difficult to let go of. And I think we probably all have the same experience with, you know, thinking of that one moment where I remember my mom taking a, we were trying to get a Christmas card photo of me and Montauk with my little boogie board. And I remember her showing me the picture. I can't remember how little I was, but I was little. I had like my green rash guard on. I thought it was so cool. And I just looked at the picture and I was like, why are my hips so big? Like, aren't girls not supposed to get hips until like middle school? And I was like still in elementary school and I just, I hated it. And I think, I mean, I don't remember what my mom had said at the time. I don't even know if I had mentioned it to her, but it's so hard to even know, like we're in this profession, but I can't imagine having a daughter that says something, I wouldn't even know what to say. You know, a lot of times people just, they want to respond with like, oh no, it's okay. Like we can go to Weight Watchers and fix this, or we can like, Mm -hmm. you can be happy when we'll try and like trim up your nutrition a little bit. And that's certainly not the comment to say, right? It's so important to have, or Gabby, I guess, what are your recommendations if you do notice like one of your children kind of starting to go down that path of picking apart their bodies? I think like, as you were saying, it's really important that you don't run to a solution. A lot of times we're solution oriented. So we think, okay, Weight Watchers, we exercise more, we'll change our eating habits as a family. And we take it personally as a mom, like maybe did I do something wrong that has led to this? But I think what really needs to step back is you need to talk to your children about why they said it. They may have just said it because they heard somebody at school say that about their body. They may have said it because they heard you or their friend's mom or somebody else talk about it. And now they're trying to repeat things and they're testing it out. And what I think it really comes down to is understanding why your child said it and what it means to them. So if your child comes home one day crying that they're fat, really ask about it. You know, what happened today that made you feel that way? You know, why did you say that? Did somebody say something to you? Is this something you created for yourself? And what does it mean to you? Because we run to solutions and we run to this idea that fat is bad and fat means I'm in a bigger body when really to your child, it could actually mean something completely different that they just want to know that their mom sees them, loves them and by their side. Yeah. So true. I love the idea of not immediately jumping to a solution. And I think that is the case with body image in general. We constantly want to just fix it. And that's why, you know, poor body image often triggers some type of new diet, but just being able to sit in that discomfort is so important. And the other thing I want to mention too, is it's so important to show children body diversity, especially in this day and age with social media. And you see these tiny little influencer bloggers and these small size bodies. And so saying like all body 
bodies are beautiful. Like we all have different size bodies and your body isn't meant to be one specific size. So I think how can we encourage parents to, you know, promote body diversity with their kids? I honestly feel like that's something we're all still learning. You know, it really depends on your kid's age too. If you have a little bit of an older child, maybe it's on their Instagram feed, following people of all different body sizes. You know, maybe if it's at school too, like just talking about all different bodies in a very like positive and neutral way. I think honestly, like if you guys have some ideas too, I think it's still something that we're really learning how to navigate because we want to come at it appropriately. We want to talk about everybody, you know, it's beautiful and it's worthy just as it is. And I think it kind of comes down to our language and the way that we talk about it and promote it in our household, whether it's through dolls or TV shows or media, whatever it may be. I totally agree. It's crazy how many influences there could be. Like the fact that you mentioned dolls, like I didn't even think of that. Like, of course we have to have diversity in dolls and books and all these different things. And not to like get into the school system, but this is kind of opening a can of worms. But in school, we don't learn anything that we can freaking apply in real life. How about you teach us about mortgages and taxes? Because I have absolutely no freaking idea how to do my taxes. That's why I obviously have a CPA because I was like, I can't even deal with this realm of my life. But in our school system, why don't we teach about like, yeah, we have health class and it's about like sex education. Okay, that's great. We can apply that at some point of our lives. But what about like, what is health, right? It's not just diet and exercise. It's what about sleep? What about like your hydration? What about your mental health? What about your relationships? What about your financial health? Like there's so much more and like, I just wish that we could infiltrate the school system a little bit more, but I don't know why that's like impossible. So yeah. Instead of like constantly just giving out the food pyramid and thinking that's solving. Again, I'm using quotes, but like childhood obesity, it's like, oh, well, you know, the food pyramid will help. But it's so true. Like I did not need to learn algebra. Like tell me how to do taxes. That would have been way more effective in my education. Yeah, I say that all the time too. If I had like a real life education, I feel like I'd be so much further ahead in different areas of life, like taxes and mortgages and different financial things as well. Totally. Stocks. What do I invest in? Like, I'd rather not get my investment information from TikTok, but like I've resorted to that at this point. So funny. TikTok, I will say, is a wealth of knowledge. I finally learned how to put a garbage bag on my garbage can. So (laughs) that is something that I will forever cherish. So, you know, we definitely touched upon this, but when it comes to living in a very diet entrenched culture, how do we protect our children? Like, do we have conversations with them about, you know, what kind of social media that they're looking at or what kind of messaging they're hearing in school or with peers. Like it's really hard. We can personally have a healthier relationship with food. We can demonstrate, you know, our body neutrality, but when it comes to them being in the outside world, like how much can we really protect them? I think you bring up a good point because so you can control the environment in your home. And if you're doing that and you're showing this beautiful relationship with food in your body, excellent. Like I'm so happy for you. And then there's stuff outside, like when your kid goes to a friend's house or when they're at school and these different things. And I think the ultimate goal is to create this trusting bond with your child that when they hear things at school, they can come back home and talk about it. So I actually have a recent example with my little sister is she came to me because she knows we have this open bond when it comes to food and nutrition and body image. And she said, one of her friends has to start calorie counting now because she's trying to lose weight. And this is something that I can't control. And I don't live with her. How 
household can control either. And it becomes, how can I create this really open soundboard for her where she and I can have an open discussion where it's not like calorie counting is bad. Don't do that. And it's more like, this is what calorie counting is. This is how it can be detrimental to your health. Like it's so sad that your friend now has to spend all this time inputting her calories, has to worry about this stuff. And like, think about all this mental headspace it's taking away from and kind of getting your kids involved in that conversation. Like, yeah, it must be hard for her to go to sleepovers or to have to like input how many calories she burned or all this stuff and really kind of creating that conversation. I think the most value is in creating that conversation with your child and providing knowledge and not just like, this is bad and this is good. Going along with that too, just creating a safe space for your child, like letting them know that, you know, you get it, like you've lived it and it, it is really hard. We live in a really fat phobic society. Like that's just unfortunately the reality and, you know, providing that safe space for your kids, you know, mean everything to them. Yeah. I think that is the most important part. It's a safe space and it's the communication because if they know they can come home and they can talk to mom or whomever it is about what is going on in school or body stuff, then they feel seen and they feel heard. And it just really helps them so much development wise too. Speaking of fat phobia, have you <laughs> ever dealt with a parent that has internalized fat phobia and they just can't get over the fact of like either for themselves or not wanting their child to grow up in a larger body? Absolutely. I take on just a few clients a year who are mothers and they actually all have daughters who are in a larger body size. And a lot of times they're coming to me because they don't know what to do. They've maybe gone down the weight loss path, path, working with doctors, or, you know, honestly, sometimes you have a really hard time. If you're dealing with your own fat phobia, you can have a hard time looking at your child in a way, which I know to some people, it can be really hard to hear, but this is something that some people deal with and you need a safe space to go to. So in that sense, yes, I have worked with a few clients like that. And the biggest thing that we work on together is not treating the child in a larger body differently than any of your other children. What I've noticed is a lot of time, the other children will be in a smaller body. And it's this idea that, well, they can eat this food, but this one daughter in a larger body, she doesn't get the carbs. She can have the zucchini noodles and they can have the pasta. And the idea is how can we work with mom and the family and it includes the partner or the husband or the wife, whoever else it may be in creating one meal for the family, allowing that child to eat the same food as everyone else, not having to exercise or do something extra or hide the snacks and really working through your own feelings towards that fat phobia, because the biggest and the greatest thing you can do as a mother is show that child that at any shape and size, she is worthy. You cannot control the genetics of your child, whether they're in a really small body size or a really large body size. And it's a really important that you treat every child the same. A big piece of that too, is having trust that it can be difficult if you don't have trust within yourself to know that your body knows exactly what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat. But it also can be really hard to have that trust in your child that they have the internal cues to tell them what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat. And if you don't have that within yourself, it's even more difficult to have that trust within your child. Of course, it can be so triggering too. And the other thing I always remind parents is, you know, this can sometimes start at a really young age is bodies change over time. We don't know whether your child's going to be in a larger body size forever, if they're going to hit puberty and grow and their weight's going to change, whatever it may be. But we have to learn how to love our child at every body size and work through the difficult stuff for us. That fat phobia and the fears we have around trusting our kids around food is 
actually not about them, but everything to do with us and our own fears around food or inability to trust our body or even body image. And that's when we really have to dig deep with mom and figure that part out. Yeah. I mean, listen, at the core of everything, we all want to feel accepted and we all want to feel some type of belonging. And so it's hard when we live in a culture that doesn't allow us to do that, right? It's saying that being in a bigger body is wrong and it's bad. And so again, it goes back to this idea, like mom and dad, like they just want to help their kids. They want to make sure that they feel accepted and they, you know, go through all of the diets and probably the conversations that they had to have when they were younger. So this kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier on, but the idea that this is so generational. And I thought that word was so powerful because it is exactly that it's generational. You know, if you look up the family tree, who else has dieted? Probably grandma, maybe great grandma. And so being able to be in a position where you can get help to heal your relationship with food. So you don't have to pass this along and you can really, you know, support your children. I think is it's big. It always gives me the chills because it's so incredible when you see a mother working on her relationship with food to end that diet cycle, but to protect her daughter or her son or whoever her child is, because they don't realize the impact that they're making. And it's also that they can be affecting someone else too. At the Thanksgiving table, there could be an uncle who's affected by this. You know, when your daughter has her friend over, her friend could be positively influenced by you or feel safe at your house. And it's just such an important reminder that the changes you make to better yourself affect more than just you. And it's like the most inspirational thing. Totally. I think a great question to kind of sum all of this up with is what do you recommend for, say you're with your child somewhere and somebody makes some sort of comment, whether it's to your child or just in general, like in what way would you either respond to that person or deal with it with your child later? And obviously it depends on the situation. I think it also depends on the person too, whether you are a confrontational mom or you kind of, you know, let things slide or you like to have open discussions about it. I think it's really up to you, your boundaries and what you feel comfortable with. I think some people would let that person know who made a comment that it's really inappropriate to comment on other people's body sizes in more of like an educational informational way. I also think that there's some people who might be like, excuse me, and just really upset. And that's okay too, because someone's talking about your child and maybe what seems like a negative manner. And I think there's other people who might just brush it off and have a conversation with the child. I always think it's important to have the conversation and more so not about the child's body being wrong or their food choices, whatever the comment was on, but rather on how that person's comment or whatever they said towards the child was inappropriate, how it's wrong and how some people have some very limited beliefs. And I think it's really depends on your style, but it's also education and like education, environment, communication. Those are the three most powerful things you can do. Yeah. I mean, that actually reminds me, my mom said when I was young, people would come up to her specifically in my family and say, what are you going to do about Brittany's weight? And she was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, what are you going to do? You have to do something. She's like, I'm not going to do anything and do not say anything to her because she remembered how my grandma used to come on her weight and how that really affected her. And so I'm appreciative of that. And, you know, it's like almost like mama bear being protective and knowing like when you know the damage it has caused in your life, like you don't want that to happen to your child. Is you said, like, first of all, I have chills hearing that story. That's so incredible. I'm so happy you have it. But it's like, as you said, like it's mama bear mode. Nobody talks to your baby that way or makes any comment. And if they do, like you are going to protect them at all costs because you refuse to let them feel the way you ever did in your body or you do right now. 
What would you say some of like your top tip are to be a good role model for your child when it comes to a healthy relationship with food and a healthy relationship with your body? Like if you have any pointers that you go to, you know, when you're talking to your clients, we would love to hear that. So there's two things that we always start with, which is your language and the physical things you do. So a lot of times we don't realize the language we're using in the house and that it can have this diet influence behind it. So maybe you say something like, take the bag of chips away from me. I can't control myself or, you know, like, oh, I worked out today. Let's have the Ben and Jerry's ice cream, whatever it may be. And the first thing that I always recommend moms to do is really think about the language you're using when it comes to food and your body and really try to dive deep. Like, why did I just say that thing? And when you start to notice your language, you might notice you're picking up on a few things that you're saying that are diet related that you didn't even know. And the second thing is, is to watch the physical habits you have. If you look in the mirror and every time you look there, you pinch your arm or some area of your body, you don't like, those are physical things that you're doing. That's showing that you want to change your body or you're unhappy with it. If every morning you step on the scale and you get upset by a number, well, it may be time to kind of move the scale and show that your worth doesn't come from it. Or if you go in the closet and it's like this meltdown every day, we want to work on alleviating those different things because it's really that language and the things that your kids see in their environment that have the biggest impact. And then from there, if you're kind of ready to take another leap, maybe it's adding in all those food groups again. A lot of the people I work with are terrified of carbs and the idea of eating carbs is the scariest thing. And maybe it's time that you challenge those food rules and you bring back those foods that you refuse to keep in your house because you think you have no willpower or you'll go all out and really start to make those challenges. Now it's hard to do it alone. And I completely empathize with that. And I understand. So I always say, just start with identifying the language you're using and understanding it. And some of the physical things you may be doing without even realizing. Great advice. Such good tips. I love that. All right. So thank you so much for joining us. This is such a good conversation. I think everybody is going to love it. So where can our listeners find you? Thank you so much for having me. You can find me on my website at methodnutrition.com with two D's or on Instagram at gabbycon.rd. My emails, my messages, they're always open. I love connecting with everybody. And it was just such an honor to be on here. So happy to have you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.